1: And welcome to another edition of Winning Ponies. I'm John Engelhart. We're glad you joined us. Uh, let's see. I've got really, I talk about the world of racing and the wonderful people you meet. I've got two wonderful people on that are doing different things uh, in the industry, but they're great guests. Uh, the first is Natalie Voss. Now I haven't had Natalie on, I think for a couple of years and got to know her over the years and her husband. And, uh, she had a rare occurrence in her life where she won not one, but two eclipse awards in the same year. She won one for what's called news and enterprise writing. And it was a multi-part series, uh, on how, how are we doing with thoroughbred aftercare? And then she broke it down into a couple chapters of which we'll, we'll try to go through. And, uh, The one that really hit me was the the feature writing category. Uh, It is just a fantastic job on uh, describing this uh, unique set of circumstances that brought people together and saved a horse. It's called An Angel on His Shoulder. Uh, This Thoroughbred's fate was written in... Inc. So, anyhow, I'm not going to tell you. That's why we got Natalie on, but that's what we're going to be covering. And I congratulate her on winning not one, but two Eclipse Awards. Pretty impressive. And then uh, our guest handicapper is going to be Eric Wing. You know, he's the guy at the wheel of, of horse tourneys. And uh, looks like all the good actions down in New Orleans at the fairgrounds, uh, they're going to have five stakes on Saturday. Now, two of them are Derby and Oaks preps. The Derby prep is the $200,000 LeCompte, mile and a 16th main track. And for the ladies, it's the Silver Bullet Day, $150,000 on the line. And that one at a mile and 70 yards. And we'll round it out with another graded race called the Louisiana, a mile and a 16th. And who's in that field? Last year's Louisiana Derby winner, Wells Bayou, trained by Brad Cox. And I'm telling you what, Brad Cox is loaded for bear on Saturday. So keep an eye out for him. Well, let's take a look at uh, some of the uh, news of the nation. And this one is international news in that Prince Khalid bin Abdullah, Passed away. As you know, uh, he uh, is Judmont Farm. He founded him and uh, th- this gentleman uh, had a deep commitment to breeding world-class race horses. He was 83 years old when he passed away earlier in the week. Uh, quite a legacy. Think of these horses. He was responsible for Frankel, Dancing Brave, Arrogate, and Enable. And that is just a, a, a few. His colors were carried to victory by over 500 stakes winners. And of those 500, he bred 440 of them. So, uh, a huge uh, loss to international racing. We'll have to see what uh, happens uh, to, to his uh, operation. But uh, he his interest went Back to the 1950s and became an owner in the mid 70s. And then, uh, known fact, was his first uh, Group One uh, winner in the Middle Park Stakes at Newmarket. So, uh, be interesting to keep an eye on what happens at uh, Judmont Farm. Well, okay, Knucklehead of the Year uh, would uh, have to go to Eric giliat Uh, He has been pretty much barred from racing. Uh, And you say, why? Well, uh, he named a horse Grape Soda. Now, this was news to me, but uh, maybe I'm just not hip enough. But uh, the the horse was Grape Soda. And I guess it is a slur on uh, black people. And he said that uh, he posted a picture of a horse and he said he's going to run next week in honor of a TVG analysis. Well, and then he put in a black raised fist emoji. Of course, it seemed to be thinly veiled as a reference to TVG host uh, Ken Rudolph, who's black, a great guy. Um, so anyhow, the When people got a hold of this and and kind of, you know, put together the dots, you know, they realize this is a racial slur. What's with this guy? And uh, so his owner, the horse's owner, didn't even know. And so anyhow... Uh, things are in motion, and the horse's name has already been changed, and I love this change. Respect for all. And uh, the owner will donate 10% of its gross earnings to the backstretch employee service teams. But I'll tell you what, uh, it, it came down hard and heavy on him. Uh, pretty much uh, Naira Uh w- wants him off the grounds he won't be able to uh race uh, any horses there uh same with the Stronac group and uh, uh tvg won't show any races that his horses are in but supposedly grape soda is the last horse he ever started so perhaps it's all mute uh, but nonetheless what a knucklehead thing to do now We've talked about this in the past, the difficulty uh, with the new riding crop restrictions, you know, something you've done your whole life, you're in a rhythm of doing, and all of a sudden they say, well, by the way, you got to cut. What you're doing in a third, and there's also a specific way you have to do it. Well, the stewards at Santa Anita have issued uh, three-day suspensions over the past week uh, to jockeys Umberto Rispoli and Drayden Van Dyke for riding crop infractions. Uh, They had earlier fines, so when these strict regulations came in, it, it goes like this. Jockeys can only use riding crops in an underhand manner, and they can only tap a horse two times in succession and then have to see if the horse responded. Uh, And then this is probably what got them over the top is uh, you kind of lose count, you know, all the things that are going on for a jockey in the middle of a horse race. They can't be hit more than six times. So most of the fines that have gone out have been $1,000. But um, these guys were suspended because it was their fourth riding crop offense in the past 60 days so it's going to be very very interesting to see um where this goes i know that the uh, the jockeys are not crazy about it um let's take uh, a little look at our races from last week it was kind of on the thin spot i'll admit but we're picking up steam now um the uh Tropical Turf at Gulfstream. Uh, this was for a uh, four and up, and there was a lot of ups in here. Uh, it's good to see all these older horses in training, and Mark Cassie got the job done in this grade three race with Ride a Comet. Great ride by Tyler gaffley Leone, who kind of uh, rated this son a candy ride, went three wide. And had a solid late kick to get up over Casa Creed. They were the two favorites with Ride a Comet uh, getting the slight nod in favoritism. Then uh, we moved out west to Santa Anita. And if you were watching the Las Seneganas, you got to see a new track record for six furlongs on the turf. 1:07 um, 107.45. And uh, the winner in here was Charmaine's Mia, 16 to 1, wire to wire. Drayden Van Dyke got this five year old mare out there and it just kept going and going and going. Uh, and the second spot was uh, Jolie Olympica. And uh, third was Lighthouse. And at Santa Anita, it was the Lock Canada. And uh grade three, two hundred thousand dollars. And the winner in here, a daughter of Scat Daddy, Sanius, who was bred in Chile, though I believe that was part of his shuttle route. And Umberto Respoli was in the saddle for trainer Michael McCarthy. In the second spot, Miss Stormy D, and finishing third was the one-eyed hard knot. To love. Let's see if we get uh, just any more pieces of the national news uh, hanging out there. Yeah. Oh, uh, Javier Castellano is uh, getting really close to the return. Um, he uh, has been out. He had leg surgery. Uh, he says he's doing. He's doing great, but he wants to wait till he's exactly 100%. So he's probably going to come back in February. So uh, he could have. You know, delayed the, the surgery, but his doctor said, well, it's only going to get worse if you don't get it done now. So uh, glad to have Javier back and uh, the legendary Lemon Drop Kid has covered his last mare, Uh, 25 years old, he's gonna remain at Lane's End to enjoy the rest of his uh, retirement. Uh, A son of uh, King Mambo, man, his horses can run all day long and they love the grass. so that pretty much wraps up what we've got uh, on the national scene. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break here, and when we come back, we're going to be talking to three-time Eclipse Award winner, two of them this year, none other than the Pollock Reports editor-in-chief, Natalie Voss. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. <laughs>
2: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: And they're off! What? Wedding Ponies with John Englehart.
1: Welcome back to Winning Ponies. As I said at the top of the show, in the world of racing, you run into a lot of wonderful people. And we are certainly going to be talking to one right now in one Natalie Voss, who's the editor-in-chief of the Pollock Report. Natalie, how are you? Have your feet come down and touched the ground yet?
2: (laughs) I'm not sure if that's ever going to totally happen, John, but I'm mostly back on Earth now.
1: Well, uh, you know, I've been following your career for many, many years, and uh, I didn't research it, but I-, I don't know how many people in the history of racing have won two media eclipse awards in one year. And I'm not asking you to uh, th- to tell me who it was or whatever, but that is an amazing accomplishment. Let me just kind of set the stage for the people uh, that the two eclipses uh, were for two categories uh, Writing And God, I love this story. An angel on his shoulder. This thoroughbred's fate was written in ink and then news enterprise writing, uh, which was a multi-part series on how we were doing with a uh, thoroughbred aftercare. Natalie, um, just fantastic reads. And I'm sure. Um, when this is done, people are going to want to go and read these stories. Can can we back trail through the Pollock report and find these stories online?
2: Absolutely, yeah. Um, you should be able to to search the the titles and, and have them come right up. Or if you can find the uh, the press release announcement for this year's uh, media award winners, they're linked in there as well.
1: Great, great. Well, that that that's what I did. Now, uh, first of all. An Angel on His Shoulder. This has to be made into either a television documentary or a a movie. Uh, It's just fantastic and almost an unbelievable story uh, that involves these people from other parts of the world that somehow all came together because of a horse called Inked. Uh, Do you want to kind of Paint the picture for us on, on, on this first Eclipse Award.
2: Sure. So um, the the way that the story had come together on my end was that uh, we got an email from um, Kirsten Fata, who has ridden horses on the track, galloped horses on the track for several years, and, and ridden sport horses, to say that she had been reunited with a little colt Uh, or gelding, I should say, that she had broke when he was a yearling and ridden when he was a two-year-old on the track. And then he'd been claimed away from the barn that she worked in. And she ran into him again completely unexpectedly after he had retired. He was um, given to the Second Stride program uh, for retraining and rehoming, and they happened to be boarding horses at the farm where she was boarding her sport horse. Had no idea he was coming, had no idea he was showing up, didn't know where he'd been. For the last several years, since he had been claimed, and then he'd been off the track for several months, and was completely surprised to see him. When she emailed me, she had um, posted on Facebook about their reunion, and she had heard from his breeder, who had also been, um, who had who had bought him from uh, a trainer out in Oregon, where he was running in claiming races, and retired him, sent him east to be retired and adopted as well as a, a girl who knew him when he was on the track in Oregon. And none of the three of them knew that the others were working to get this horse in a safe retirement location, let alone did any of them know that he was going to end up sort of back where he started his career with Kirsten. It was just incredible.
1: It really is. And you do a, a, a marvelous job of uh, <clears throat> excuse me uh, t- of, of, of telling the story. Um, you, you really have to read it to you end up going, what did this happen? You got, well, uh, what? I mean, well, as you were researching the story, was that kind of your attitude? It's like, this is unbelievable.
2: It it really was. And, you know, I had a, a long interview with Kirsten and then I, I, I spoke to the other two women in the story who were part of this horse's life. And, and it was just like, no, I mean, I guess this all, <laughs> it sounds too fantastical, but this is, This is a thing that has happened. And now my job is to tell the story and not mess it up, basically, because, you know, how often does the chance to tell a story like this come around? Well,
1: uh, you should get a job doing the screenplay when they put the movie out, because this is definitely <laughs> a story that you just go, come on, this didn't really happen. And it really did. And of course, uh, your wonderful way of writing and describing these people and how each one of them kind of had a, a unique, um, you know, a relationship with the horse. Uh, You know, from, you know, uh, you know, a person involved in Circle J horse transportation saw this horse and thought he was just too much. Uh, That was Hannah Meyer. Uh, Susan Young was the breeder. Of course, uh, Kirsten Fada, as you already told us, was, you know, an exercise rider. Now, the horse's name is Inked and Inked actually now has his own Facebook
2: page. He does. Um, the original goal for them, I think, was to go to the thoroughbred makeover in 2020. And of course, that has been postponed to fall of this year. Um, I'm not sure if they're still on track with getting him to that or not. But she was compelled to find a way to, to give people updates on how he was doing because she just got so much feedback to from her post as well as from my story. So she's trying to make sure everyone knows what he's up to.
1: Now, if anybody wants to check into this, it's uh, I-N-K-E-D. Am I correct? Yes, that's right. Okay. So, folks, go ahead and friend a horse because it is one interesting (laughs) story. And Natalie Voss did a marvelous job in portraying it. Now, Natalie, when these stories come in to – like the Pollock Report, do 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 they get assigned a writer, or was it a story that you fell upon by accident? Uh, how does the the how how does the whole rhythm of it work?
2: Well, so we're a very small staff at the Pollock Report. Um, there's just uh, the counting Ray. There's four of us in editorial um, full time uh, all together. and so it, when emails come in, we'll. Sort of share them amongst each other and sort of say, ah, what do you, what do you think? Is this something that we should get into? Does this strike you as does this sort of strike your fancy? And this was something that, um, you know, once I connected it, particularly with her, her Facebook post detailing the story a little further, I, I was really grabbed by that story. And so I thought, well, you know, i it came along sort of in the height of the pandemic too. I think it was early summer, I want to say when I first heard from her and it was like, gosh, I really don't have time to to work on a feature right now, but this is just too good. So um, I was able to luckily carve out the time. That's one of the nice things about working for the Pollock Report is we each have a lot of freedom to pursue what interests us, and I I like to think that serves the readership well.
1: Now, uh, do you personally have a horse?
2: So I have two. I have had a percher on thoroughbred cross mare who was um, a pre, who was a neglect case in her younger days. I've had her for 11 or 12 years now. Um, and I just recently got my very own, my first off-the-track thoroughbred. I've ridden off-the-track thoroughbreds, but I now finally have my own. Um, I got him in late November. So I have joined the OTTB realm.
1: That is awesome. So that gives you even more of a of, of a personal connection, uh, not only... Uh, to the feature commentary story you wrote. But in particularly, uh, the multi-part series, uh, and I won't read every every title, but it's uh, the overall title, I believe, is A Decade In, How Are We Doing with Thoroughbred Aftercare? And this was a very interesting timeline on how we got to the point that, I mean, With the number of horses, I don't know if we're ever going to get to the point where they're all going to be cared for. But it is amazing over the last decade how many different programs uh, have, A, popped up, and B, uh, now kind of have a a regulation uh, uh, group that makes sure that these horses, uh, there's a certain list of protocols uh, that that every one of these um, organizations, and like Jen Royce, I, I don't want to call them. Rescue, you know, it's just uh, the next phase in their career. Uh, it kind of uh, walk us through it. I know, I know, it's very detailed and very long. That's why it was three part. But it, it really uh, it tells us a lot about the efforts of a lot of great people. Uh, many of them that I I, I know myself, Michael Blowen, Anna Ford, uh, Jen Reutz, Um Kind of uh, are, are we. Being successful in the care, I mean, we've got, there are, to my knowledge, no more North American slaughterhouses, but Canada and Mexico still have a market.
2: Yeah, so I think what I sort of learned um, from putting together the series is that it, it is a completely different and, and far improved landscape from what it was about 10 years ago when um, we started to see this growth of nonprofits and as well as as sort of awareness and incentive groups like the TIP program and the Retired Racehorse Project. Um, You know, aftercare is a word now. It wasn't a word in this industry for a long time. Um, And what we have done is tremendous in those years as far as the number of horses that have been helped, as far as the reputation of the thoroughbred breed in other equestrian sports. People go looking for thoroughbreds now where they didn't used to. Um, You know, we've, we've made incredible strides. Um, but at the same time, we can't just sort of sit back and say, okay, we're, we're good, this is taken care of, because just the, the size of the problem as far as finding you know, suitable ways to direct these horses into their next career it, is bigger than a lot of people have thought about or, or maybe want to think about because it seems just so difficult to get your hands around. So uh, that was sort of my, my takeaway, like, yes, this is really good. Um, but we can't just sort of assume that this is all we need to do and we've got the issue taken care of because there's more to do.
1: Well, I, I do believe, you know, we uh, as an industry uh, ha- have a great guy at, at the, uh, the the head of the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance in John Phillips. If people don't know his name, they probably know the name of Darby Dan Farm. I really enjoyed reading the segment on on what John had to say.
2: Yeah, I had a fantastic discussion with him—a um, very, very long discussion. It was too long to really it, everything into the the series. But he had some some really interesting perspective on looking at this issue from the perspective of a farm owner and breeder, um, and just the sense of personal responsibility that he has and that um, some of the other breeders have towards the issue as well. And you know, he's. He's very educated on it, even though he's not in the business of, you know, showing off track horses or anything like that. So that was really interesting.
1: He, uh, he's just a quality person uh, that they've got as the president of the uh, Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance. Uh, I've had dealings with them o- over the years, of course, I'm familiar with the the Galbraith family, and he's an offshoot uh, of that. Um, you know, I, I thought there was one thing that you really put into perspective that. Make us all think about it. And that's, the number may not be exact, but, you know, when you look at, you know, and I know this is a breeder, chances of having a healthy foal, getting it broke, and then uh, seeing that the horse is fast enough to run or uh, that, God forbid, it have some kind of injury. But of the foals that are born, I think approximately 28% never go to a race? And the question is, 28% of an entire breed of animals, where do they go? That was a shocking number.
2: Yeah, I was surprised by that too. Um, You know, I, I had known, of course, of foals that have paddock accidents and, or, you know, have some minor sort of thing that happens before they get to the point of starting in a race. And so I, I knew that there were situations where a horse just may not kind of cut it as far as even making a first start. But that was a higher number than I thought. I believe that that was um, based on research that had been done in Australia. Uh, They've got a slightly better handle on their sort of industry statistics as far as this goes than what we do, because, of course, they have a little bit of a smaller uh, industry than i think we do uh, i believe as far as the number of horses overall but if that was their figure and and i was only sort of guessing that that was probably I, I tried to get some equivalent figures from the jockey club to apply that as well as i could um to north america and it was it was pretty similar here as well it's, yeah that's a lot more horses than than i would have thought and you, you do kind of wonder where they all go because particularly if they you know sort of encounter some detour before they get to their first start at what you would guess would be age two or three, well, so how broke is that horse? And what do you do with a semi-broke young horse that might have a little bit of an issue? I, I would think the chances for, you know, where that horse could go might be a little limited, but I'm really not sure what the answer is as to where they all end up.
1: Well, it was, it was a very, uh, you know, eye-opening uh, statistic. Now, got a couple minutes left. Uh, the One of the things that have come out of this uh, whole movement is, is something called the Thoroughbred Makeover Project. Can you de- capitalize what that is?
2: Sure. So that is a um, training competition that is meant to sort of showcase the versatility and the, the quick quick learning kind of nature of the off-track Thoroughbred. Um, the way they have you do it is you apply to be a trainer competing in that program, and then you apply to bring a horse into that year's program, and you have from, I believe it's mid-December or January, I think, through the date of the competition, which is typically in early October, to get the horse ready to compete in your chosen discipline. And there's several different uh, sports or disciplines that you could show the horse at, at the makeover competition in October, and then, you know, they uh, choose a winner for each of the disciplines, and then they choose an overall winner, um, which they call America's Most Wanted Thoroughbred. And the, the idea is supposed to show kind of with a, with a time clock on it, a horse that's been on the racetrack fairly recently, and they've all had relatively the same amount of training going in. Look at what they can do in just a short amount of time, and it really is amazing what they can accomplish.
1: Uh, a- a- absolutely. It-, it really is. Um, but so w- one one more time, because I-, I know we've probably piqued interest to people that didn't have a pen and paper in hand at the time, but I, I really want to guide uh, uh, people to your stories, uh, in particular, uh, an angel on his shoulder. Can you tell us one more time where we can go to read these if we missed it when it first came out?
2: Yeah, I think the easiest uh, way to do it is to find the press release from the NCRA which is on the Pollock Report but it's also published in other places as well um, announcing the 2020 Media Eclipse Award winners <clears throat> Excuse me. and then that will also include within that with the body of that release it'll have links to all the stories including the Ink story
1: well, that that that's the way I found it, and <clears throat> I certainly was happy. Well, uh, I, I I hope there's no uh, uh, family jealousy. Uh, just a l- little bit of background here. Uh, it's public knowledge that uh, uh, Natalie is married to an Eclipse Award winner, Joe Neville's. So uh, I guess you're you're going to have to move his Eclipse down a little bit on the mantle to get your two up there. <laughs>
2: Yeah, he he did joke with me um because I had I had won the award in 2016 and he won his uh for 2019 and after he found out he did sort of joke with me like you, you couldn't give me more than one year where we were tied. <laughs> so but generally he's he's a good sport. He's very happy for me.
1: Well, it, it, it's just amazing to have uh, two Eclipse Award winners uh, living under the same uh, roof. But uh, it's probably great for sharing stories and upcoming things. And, and both work for the same entity. Uh, I love Joe's stories are uh, every bit as personal as, as you, yours are. Um, and I what I, what I like about uh, both of you. And I'll make this statement before I let you go is that you guys are find these unique stories that highlight underdogs. I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Well, with that said, Natalie, I'm going to let you go. But once again, heartfelt congratulations uh, for all the hard work. Uh, I, I've got to know you and Joe over the years and uh, that the pleasure has literally been all mine.
2: Well, thank you so much, John. I appreciate you having me
1: on. All right. Well, uh, we've been uh, talking with the uh, editor-in-chief of the Pollock Report, Natalie Voss, winner of not one, but two Eclipse Awards. So uh, with that said, we're going to take a little bit of a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to the man at the wheel of horse tourneys, none other than Eric Wang. Mm -hmm.
2: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
4: And they're off! What?
0: Winning Ponies with John Inglehart.
1: All right. Welcome back. Great story there with Natalie Voss and another man that I've met many years ago in the industry. We've been friends ever since is none other than Eric Wing, who now is driving the bus at horse tourneys. Eric, how have you been, my friend?
4: I've been great, John. How about yourself?
1: Hey, I'm on the right side of the grass. Can't complain. So, uh, you know, just uh, taking it in. I'm glad that, uh, you know, we're it's this time of year where uh, we're getting a little more meat on our plate as far as horse racing. You know, that seems to be the national uh, or the natural progression of things is like, yeah, you can actually win Derby and Oaks points now. And uh, so a lot of. A lot of good racing in the warmer weather uh, on the West Coast, uh, down in New Orleans, and certainly uh, over in Florida. So I'm, I'm happy to kind of get geared up and get, get excited about watching these horses. Uh, but with that said, uh, the action's picking up. And what is horse tourneys going to offer my handicappers here at Winning Ponies in the next couple of days?
4: Well, uh, we just got off a gigantic weekend uh, with our FloCal face-off that was won by John Levitt of Baltimore, uh, Alan Levitt rather, uh, John Alan Levitt of Baltimore, and uh, Alan won two hundred and six thousand for being the best of about four hundred and twenty entries uh, last Saturday and Sunday. The total pot was. 570000 which was almost triple what we had in uh, the 2020 FloCal face-off. But anyway, uh, that's yesterday's news. Starting this weekend, we offer qualifiers for what is the second jewel in our tourney triple series, the first being the FloCal. And that's the Players' Championship on Friday and Saturday, April 2nd and 3rd of Easter weekend. And uh, it's a two hundred thousand dollar guaranteed tournament. We hope that it's that the uh, ultimate purse ex- well exceeds that two hundred thousand figure. You could start qualifying for it now at horse tourneys starting on Friday. Um, we've got uh, one hundred and forty-six dollar, one hundred and fifty-six dollar qualifiers. That's how Al- Alan Levitt won his hundred. One is two hundred six thousand. By the way, he won a one hundred and eighteen dollar qualifier to get into it, and then turn that into two hundred six grand. So, um, we've got some exciting big money tournaments throughout the year. We have the, the FloCal, which we just did, the Players Championship uh, first weekend in April. We'll have the Spawn Surf Showdown in August. Uh, lots of good stuff in between, but those have kind of become our tentpole events in in our minds and in the minds of the players.
1: All right, and that leads into I want to remind our listeners uh that uh, with playing multiple tracks, uh it's very important that uh, you, you kind of get the best information you can get and of course Uh, That information is at winningponies.com by pulling down the easy win forms. You can go up anytime you want and check out our recent results. But uh, particularly if there's a track in the mix that you're not uh, used to playing, I think the easy win forms will help you a lot. Well, uh, talking about, you know... uh, Getting our eye on the prize down the road uh, to the first week in, in May, uh, we've st- we're got uh, two points races on, on the card uh, today, and uh, that would be the LeCompte, that's for the boys, and the girls is the Silver Bullet Day, both at, at, at the fairgrounds. Now, Eric, I know you're a bit of a good handicapper, uh, I found something interesting, it, I, I, I was kind of aware of this, but it wasn't until I started looking at the PPs that uh, a lot of horses we're going to be looking at, particularly in these three-row races, jumped up and won big their last race, racing on Lasix. In these races, you notice that they are not racing on Lasix, and the reason is, Churchill Downs said, if you're using Lasix, you're not getting any Derby or Oaks points. Uh, uh, How does this throw a wrench into your handicapping? Uh,
4: It does do that, John. And the good news is, once we get a month or two into the year, it it should no longer be a wrench, or, or not as big a wrench, but it does add another angle or aspect uh, that you have to consider in handicapping these races. It's funny you brought that up at the top because if you hadn't, I was going to kind of preference or couch all of my picks um, based on whether or not horses uh, were coming off Lasix, uh, had not been on Lasix and therefore would not be at any sort of real or perceived disadvantage. So, uh, for better or worse, it's something that has to be factored in along with everything else, like speed and class and pace and whatever. Um, and it's been going on since the beginning of the year, and it, it'll be a prominent part of most of these races we're discussing at fairgrounds today.
1: Well, uh you know, let's see what happens. But it, it is amazing uh, when you go down the PPs, you know, <clears throat> these sources have either be maintaining their winning style by by uh, using Lasix or all of a sudden when they went first Lasix, uh, had had a huge race. Well, in, in, in looking at, you know, the the Lecomte, the Silver Bullet Day and even the Louisiana, uh, I'll tell you what. Brad Cox is holding a pretty heavy hand in all three of them.
4: Uh, he sure is, and I suppose that shouldn't come as any big surprise, just given how powerful he's been uh, through all of 2020. Obviously, that was in full display in the, uh, in the Breeders' Cup, where he won four races. But uh, one thing about fairgrounds, they draw a week in advance. And that's wonderful for being able to get the past performances early and, and do some early work like, like we're going to do. Um, the downside is you see more scratches out of these races as a result, both from the fact that you know drawing essentially four days earlier than most uh, leaves four extra days for something to go wrong with these horses. Um, and also there are some allowance races. There's, there's For example, there's a race eight on the fairgrounds card is a one-other-than-allowance that figures to draw a couple of the uh, horses away, uh, most specifically Beep Beep and Manor House, who, according to Marcus Hirsch in daily racing form, are going to run in that race eight allowance instead. Um, It's even a a factor with the uh, the, uh, silver bullet day in which, There's an allowance race on Monday that's probably going to draw away divine comedy and minute waltz, according to Hirsch. So there's that to consider. Uh, We strongly urge players to check the early scratches on Saturday to see, uh, because there will more than likely be horses coming out. Uh, My boy Jack, another one, entered for the Louisiana stakes on dirt, but will be running in the same day's Colonel E.R. Bradley on turf instead. So there's. There's some musical chairs involved, and along with the uh, horses coming off Lasix, which is sometimes hard to gauge, uh, it, it's just it's going to make for a challenging day of handicapping, for sure. A fun day, but a challenging day.
1: Well, the other thing, when they come out that early, I always download them, and uh, what I actually like is I have no odds. So, you know, your eye's not drawn uh to a specific uh horse um it, you know where whoever made, was made the morning line favorite um well i already stated uh, Brad Cox uh, of course we know that uh you know shocking international news about Judmont farm and uh he's got a Judmont homebred in here uh called Mandalone um hasn't gone the distance that's the other thing we're going to see in these races we look at with the three-year-olds is some of these horses it's their uh, time to try and an added distance so uh i i just think th- this horse up jumped without lasix um last time out and scored a really solid buyer so um i i was a, Attracted to him, and of course, anything Asmussen uh, has down there is live, and he's bringing in the the talented Midnight Bourbon down on the rail. But I I think we all know that the horse is going to win as regular guy.
4: (laughs) How can he not with a name like that? (laughs) Uh, I I did check the odds, John, just before I jumped on with you. They are now out. Mandaloon is the favorite. At uh, three to one, second choice Midnight Bourbon, seven to two, you can have Midnight Bourbon. The, the horse was just, it just did not run all that great in the Champagne. That Grade One status is going to look nice in the PPs, but I'm not at all interested in Midnight Bourbon. Uh, Mandaloon is exactly what you said. Um, this is the day when he's going to be trying two turns for the first time. Nothing in the pedigree that says he shouldn't be able to do it. He's buying into mischief out of an empire maker mare. Uh, has been it is two for two. My concern is just that you don't know until they've done it. And this horse is nominally faster on the buyers by a little bit, but the times that Churchill uh, that he's been running are not all that stupendous to to make me take him from an outside post trying two turns for the first time. Uh, one of those things Harvey Pack says one should never do uh, when dealing with the favorite. I found this race the toughest of any that we might be discussing to, to handicap. Um, I do like Manor House uh, coming off of a blowout win over a over a six to five Brittany Russell trained firster at Laurel. Uh, Manor House blew that one away by twelve, but Marcus Hirsch says he may well be going in in the allowance race. So I guess that tells you who I like in the allowance. The only other one I could come up with is Santa Cruiser, who beat your regular guy last time when they met. Um, And this Keith DeSormo trainee has just been getting a little bit better each race, hasn't had Lasix yet, and also suddenly showed speed in in his last race, which I always like when a horse shows that kind of from out of the blue. Uh, So a slight lean to Santa cruiser in a race where I don't have strong opinions other than I, I don't really love the two favorites.
1: All right. It's going to make for a fun handicapping event as well as the silver bullet day. Again, a common theme here, uh, Brad Cox, uh, the outfits that he trains for, uh, you know, you don't see a sales, uh, price on these horses because they're bred by some of the biggest outfits in the world. Uh, Godolphin homebred, uh, divine comedy, Um, another into Mischief, uh, who's already scored at the fairgrounds going long. So that's a nod in that direction. But I've got to give the nod to his other entry, even though I'm not crazy about the post position, uh, Sunpath. And this one's a Juddmon homebred because uh, the way things go, Flo can pretty much have whatever mount he wants, and Florent Giroux is sticking with Sunpath.
4: I agree with you, John. And uh, as you noted, Cox and Judmont have two entered in this race: Sunpath and uh, and Divine Comedy. However, according to Marcus Hirsch, Sunpath is going to stay in the Silver Bullet Day, and Divine Comedy is going to run on Monday instead. So we may not even have to worry about Divine Comedy um, in our calculations if if that reporting is correct. Um, Sunpath, unlike uh... mandaloon who i sort of poo-pooed a little bit for not having been two turns it's much the same scenario with sunpath uh, coming off two really nice victories at least with sunpath the last one came at uh, two turns and was a blowout victory um, always like to see when horses make the stretch from one turn to two and increase their speed figure while doing it that's a good sign now the horse was one to five in that race, so she wasn't supposed to lose, so she may not have been in against much, but if it's not Sunpath, a horse, I would use, in addition, that, that Marcus Hirsch says is um, on the fence between running in this race and the Monday allowance, is number five, Princess Theorem, who's 12 to one on the morning line. Um, she exits the best race of these, the Grade 2 Goldenrod at Churchill. And uh, she hasn't been on Lasix. And a race two back was very, very good going two turns at Churchill. Got a nice speed figure out of it, almost in uh, Sunpath territory. So I I think Princess Theorem is way better than those 12-to-1 morning line odds if she indeed does stay and run in this race.
1: All right. Well, Eric, we're down to about two and a half minutes here. So let's tackle the grade three. Uh, Louisiana and you know, the conditions of this race are for four year olds and up and boy, I love seeing how many of these horses are up. I mean, you know, a, a six year old and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh at least four, six year olds are in there. Uh, I'm, I think it's five. This is fantastic to see them stay in training and they're not all gelding some of them are cold and could have been you know whisked away to retirement with solid earnings so uh with uh, with 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 that said it's so you're saying my boy Jack won't probably won't be in there correct. Okay he, he 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 makes for an interesting story remember back in the, the the 2018 he was the the silky sullivan on the scene but never quite turned into the horse that I that I think that they hoped he had cuz he had a scintillating late run uh taking the lexington to the southwest but that's ancient history here's the interesting horse here's the angle horse uh, he he could he could w- win easily, or have a legitimate excuse, and that's Brad Cox trained, Florent Giroux ridden, Wells Bayou. Uh,
4: There there are two horses I really like in this race. One of them is Wells Bayou, coming off a long layoff. Has run six times. Whenever the pace is normal, he wins. Whenever the pace is pretty brutal, brutally fast, he loses. So just almost, without thinking you say well this horse is highly dangerous as long as there isn't some sort of uh, suicidal pace duel up front the thing is he does come off that layoff and he's 3 to 1 in the in the morning line odds the other horse i like and is almost an automatic play just by virtue of the morning line odd differential is number 5 Indy Maj, 12 to 1 for trainer jeff engler coming off a very fast race at tampa and is now dropping seven pounds while drawing a cozy post number five for with Joe Talamo up at the odds. I've got to play Indimag and maybe just be forced to protect with Wells Bayou. But Indimag, if he's anything close to twelve to one, he'll be getting the vast majority of my play here.
1: All right. Well, Eric, as always, I, uh, I love uh, having conversation with you and uh, want to remind everybody if after you pull down your easy win forms from us, check out horse tourneys because there's something for everybody. They're not all uh, $500 buy-ins. If you just want to have some fun weekend action, horse tourneys is the place to go. Eric Wing, thanks so much for joining us.
4: It's always my pleasure, John. Have a great weekend, and uh, good luck to everybody listening with their uh, with their investment uh, choices uh, this weekend.
1: And don't forget the regular guy is your hunch bet. All right, <laughs> Eric Wing from Horse Tourneys. I want to thank Natalie Voss from the Pollock Report, and uh, we're uh, g- getting ready to clock out. I want to remind everybody too that uh, we uh, will. Uh, have uh well i already mind about the easy win forms but don't forget to read natalie's stories that they they are fantastic and probably most of all i need to thank my producer aaron for keeping me in line today i'm john englehart you've been listening to winning ponies
0: thanks for listening to winning ponies with john englehart we hope the information from today's show will benefit you at the next post Join us for more insight next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Also, look for our weekly newsletter. Have a great week, and may your photos always be winners.